Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Buddhang namang sanghang namasami. So we have one uh, sutta in Matrimanikaya, number 123, Acharya Abbuddha Sutta. Wonderful and marvelous. And uh, this sutta gives us the most original and authentic account what happened when the Bodhisattva was born. It is uh, related by Venerable Ananda in the presence of the Buddha. That's all we have. The certainty that when the Buddha is present, when the Ananda is talking, what he has heard from the Buddha, that it would be accurate. Otherwise, the Buddha would obviously immediately correct the Ananda. So it's basically a list of the amazing, wonderful, astounding, marvelous characteristics which happen at the birth of the Bodhisattva. And the story starts before the birth in Tosita heaven, because apparently uh, all Buddhas, the last lifetime, before they get born as a human being and attain supreme awakening, the last lifetime before that, they always spend in the Tosita heaven. And in the case of the Bodhisattva, it is said, that he would arise into Zeta heaven mindfully and fully aware, clearly comprehending Sato Sampajano, at the qualities of Sati, Sampajanya, Sati and Panya, mindfulness and wisdom. And then he was reborn in the Tuzita heaven. It is stated that he would spend the whole lifespan of that particular class of devas in the Tosita heaven. So it would be uh, many million years in human reckoning. And again, he would do so mindfully and fully aware. Sato Sampajano. It is said that when he passed away, when he died, we have to remember that even the deva lokas, where the lifespan may be even hundreds of millions of years in human reckoning are not eternal. They are also subject to um, impermanence and subject to death. So all the bodhisattvas spent the full lifespan, and that was it, heaven at some stage. That lifespan was also exhausted. And then he would pass away from Tosita heaven. And again, he would do so mindfully, and fully aware. It is said that when conception of the Bodhisattva occurred in the body of his mother, the Queen Mahamaya, the chief queen of King Sudodana of the Sakyans, also the Bodhisattva remained mindful and fully aware 
clearly comprehending at the time of conception. The exact details of uh, the date and the event of conceptions are not related in that certain that we can supply that from later sources. But I still like to mention that this is now relying on later sources. And the description is that Queen Mahamaya, because it was a full moon day, all the Bodhisattva Matas give birth after exactly 10 months. In, normally in women, it may vary somewhere between 9 and 10 months from conception to birth, or sometimes children even come premature. In the case of all Bodhisattva Matas, the mothers of the Bodhisattvas in their last life, it will always be exactly 10 months. So we can simply count back. If we go back from Visaka, Vesak, full moon, for 10 months, what have we got? Asana, the entry of the Rains Retreat. So it was a full moon day, and they say that Queen Mahamaya was observing the full moon day. She was observing the eight precepts. And then in the afternoon in the heat, we have to remember in the, in May in India is a very hot season. It's easily well above 40 degrees. And she had a little rest. And uh, while she was resting, she had a dream. And in that dream, she had two devas taking her and flying off into a kind of place in the mountains or some heavenly place. And uh, there would be a beautiful lake for her to bathe. And there would be a beautiful heavenly palace to rest. So in the dream, she also laid down in the palace to rest. And then she had the the vision or the image of a white tusker elephant with uh, six tusks, indicating that it's not a normal elephant, but a special one, approaching her and circumambulating her very respectfully three times, and then uh, entering her body. This is a traditional story supplied by later sources. But already in the sutta I'm talking about, number 123 in Nikaya, that is stated that this moment of conception was fully mindful and aware on the side of the Bodhisattva. And additionally, as it was such a momentous event you know, that the consciousness of the Supreme Being is now established in the human world, uh, in the body of his mother, there's a huge light illuminating you know, the whole universe. There's also an earthquake. There's a few times in the Buddha's life as it happens, you may remember from the uh, first sermon, the Dhamma Chakapavatana Sutta, Similarly, a great immeasurable light is going through the whole universe and the great earth is shaking and quaking. So similar conception that also happened. They say this light is so uh, powerful that it outshines even the great devas and it outshines the sun and moon by far. And it's so bright that even in the most remote corners of the universe, in modern parlance we would probably say in um, areas of the universe where their galaxies are very far apart. There's no light normally. Even these dark interstices would be illuminated and the beings living there would recognize the first time that there are other beings around in that light. 
it is said that the moment consciousness is established in the body of his mother, four devas take on the duties of protecting both the bodhisattva and his mother, Queen Mahamaya, from any danger, whether it is human beings or whether it is non-human beings, ghosts or yakas or spirits or anyone, so that no one can harm Queen Mahamaya and the little unborn child. It is said that the moment conception occurs, the bodhisattva mata becomes naturally virtuous. She's actually a very virtuous woman anyhow, in order to be the mother of the Bodhisattva, they have to be considerable parami. And as we saw, she had observed the Oposata day, so she would normally keep the precepts, anyhow, the five precepts, very diligently. But as we all know, that often takes effort, and sometimes there may be temptations, and we need determination and resolution and mindfulness to really keep our precepts pure. However, uh, the moment after conception, because of you know, the power of the mind of the Bodhisattva, you know, the most um, supreme mind in the whole universe, and uh, that close physical and mental connection the mother has with that being, she becomes naturally virtuous. So she doesn't have to make any effort anymore to keep the precepts. She wouldn't have any you know, intention or thought occurring that she would want to kill any beings, even an insect or steal or any essential uh, misconduct or lying or intoxicants. Her mind would be disinterested in that. It is said that even beyond the five precepts, from the moment of conception, the Bodhisattva Mata would lose all interest, all sensual interest in any man whatsoever. There was no essential desire in her mind, advising anymore towards any man. It is said that other than in pregnancy quite regularly, the women may get nausea or headaches or swollen feet or anything like that. She has got the perfect pregnancy and she is never feeling sick. She feels actually, if anything, better and more energetic than normal. It is said that she can actually see uh, the bodhisattva inside her body, not as a fetus or as an embryo, but she can see the bodhisattva in, in her mind's eye, so to speak, but very clearly, and with all her faculties, with this limb. It is said now that she is endowed with the five strands of sensual pleasures. Now that phrase is sometimes used to indicate an essential indulgence, but this is not what is meant here. It's not so much that she is centrally indulging, but it means that she doesn't have to worry about a thing. Now her husband, King Sododana, is a loving, caring husband. He's a king. So he makes sure that she has got anything she could possibly need. As a natural instinct in a mother, like this kind of almost like nesting instinct, because she has this instinct that she has to protect now not only herself, but also the unborn child. And that is fully supported 
she's really pampered. Uh, any any wish, anything she may like or need is provided in the palace by the king and by all the servants. She has got anything and she hasn't to she hasn't got to worry about a thing. So she can fully focus being very happy and at ease during the pregnancy. As stated, as I mentioned, uh, other pregnancies may go nine or ten months or sometimes premature. In the case of the Bodhisattva Mata, it is always exactly ten months. So we are now again at the Asala before the um, excuse me, Asala conception, ten months, and a Vesak, the full moon of May. And now we again have to supply some background information from later sources. In those days in India, it was the practice that mothers would return to their own family, to their own parents, whenever they gave birth to the first child. So for Queen Mahamaya, the Bodhisattva was the first child, and she was a Kolian princess. You know, the Sakyans and the Kolians there were two uh, Katya tribes now of the uh, conventionally highest caste in India at that time, so they would intermarry, one living more to the west of the river, Rohini and the Kolians more, more to the east. And uh, the Sakyan king Sudodana uh, married uh, the Kolian princess Mahamaya, and as is the custom, uh, she requested when she was getting close to delivery that uh, her husband can organize that she can return and uh, deliver the child uh, with her parents in that house. I remember reading once that uh, a close relationship to the mother is psychologically apparently very beneficial in childbirth and can protect from um, postnatal depression, for example. I mean, uh, depression is not likely in the case of the Bodhisattva Mata, but uh, this ancient Indian custom uh, that she is back with her mom for the first child is probably also psychologically very supportive. Of course, this is a little journey. It's a different kingdom. So uh, King Sododana arranged a whole um, entourage for her, a little a chariot which could be easily and conveniently transported and then they were traveling. And it happened that they were passing by Lumbini Park, a beautiful park surrounded by sal forests, sal trees. And the queen felt and was about halfway to Devadaha, the capitals of the Kodians were here. Uh, royal parents lived and she felt she wanted to have a little break. And so very quickly those days uh, royalty was quite used to amuse themselves El fresco. The kings would often go out and, and uh, eat and picnic and parks and it was all organized. So they were well equipped for that and they would like, guide her and all the servants into the beautiful uh, Lumbini Grove and uh, Queen Mahamaya would relax, and then suddenly she noticed you know, that 
uh, labor is occurring, that uh, birth is happening. And very quickly, you know, the servants would provide screening. You know, again, they're very equipped for that because uh, royalty is often out in parks. And then she would hold on to the branch of a tree. In the Theravada tradition, that is usually considered a salt tree. But the name of the tree is actually not mentioned in the Sutta. So you have to go for uh, other later sources again. And Theravada, they usually say salt trees. And that is not surprising if you have been there in Nepal. We were once lucky traveling there. Even now, there's huge salt forest there. And it's a beautiful kind of forest, more park-like. There's no thick underbrush. You can easily walk around. But salt trees are very big. So it's difficult to see how someone could hold on to that. On the other hand, in uh, other sources, they are talking about an Ashoka tree. And uh, looking at Ashoka trees, and even nowadays they have them growing in Lumbini, um, I think the Ashoka tree is more convincing. Both Chinese pilgrims in the 5th and 7th century traveling in India, uh, once they saw a living Ashoka tree in that location, and the other one uh, saw uh, Ashoka tree in the 7th century, which had died by then, but which was still standing there, but with it. And that is also a strong indication, so I believe it's an Ashoka tree. There's also a beautiful tradition, even nowadays in Nepal, they say this tree will only flower if it gets kicked by a beautiful girl. And it also flowers actually at the time of Vesak. And the branches come out very low. It's more like a shrub, small tree. In any case, the Sutta states that all Bodhisattva martyrs always give birth standing, not sitting or lying down. They give birth standing. And she would be supported by holding on to one branch of the Ashoka tree. Uh, very interestingly, once uh, I remember um, one supporter here being uh, a midwife, and I mentioned this whole thing about giving birth standing, whether she had heard of that. And very fascinatingly, she said, Oh, yes, yeah, that can actually be done, and this is the best way of giving birth. Although she said it's very difficult for the midwife. <laughs> Well, the midwife is in a much more difficult position, but uh, interestingly, as a professional, she said uh, this is actually the best way. And all bodhisattva martyrs give birth in that way. It is said that you know, when the bodhisattva was born, that he was first received by devas, and only after that by human. So no, standing is all Time has to be received, caught, and that was done by devas. And these devas would place the bodhisattva right in front of Queen Mahamaya standing, and they would announce to her, Be happy, Queen, a very powerful child has been born to you. It is certain that this birth occurs without the usual impurity of the body, so there's no blood, there's no pus, there's no water, there's none of the normal impurities accompanying birth. And don't ask me how that works physically, I can't explain it. 
the simile given in the Sutta is just like when you have a, a jewel of the first water and you put it onto a cloth of silk from Varanasi, which in those days was considered the finest grade of silk you can possibly have. Even nowadays, Kasi is still famous for their silk. They're selling that there. And the, the silk cloth will not spoil the diamond, and the diamond will not spoil the silk cloth because of the purity of both. That's a simile given there. But even, even though uh, there's no impurity involved, it is said that two streams of water are manifesting spontaneously in the air, one with cool water and one with hot water. And so both the Bodhisattva Mata and the little child, the Bodhisattva, they can be bathed with both the cooling and uh, very cleaning hot water. It is said that the little baby would immediately walk seven steps and a wide um, umbrella would be held over the Bodhisattva while he's walking the seven steps into the northern direction by the devas. And then he would raise his arm and he would declare that he is the supreme being in the universe and that this is his last birth, that there will be no future coming to the state of being. There will be no future rebirth. Nati dani, punabhavoti, ayamanti majati, nati dani, punabhavoti. This is the last rebirth. There's no more new birth going to happen. And then it is said that at this moment, again, a huge earthquake is shaking the whole world and the light which is more powerful than sun and moon which is more powerful than even uh, the luminous Bahamas, the most exalted devas the more powerful light than even from them is flooding the whole universe this is now all the small miracles which Vendable Ananda is relating in that sutta surrounding the birth. But then the Buddha gives one additional one. And uh, I've noticed when I talk about this sutta in uh, modern audiences, particularly in Western culture, not traditional Buddhist culture, they sometimes wonder, can they I fully believe that all oh, literally can these miracles truly happen. Is this sort of maybe a little bit distorted? But to my mind, the comment of the Buddha is a very clear indication that this sort of is really dinky die, original and authentic. Because Venerable Anandana has just related this whole string of ever-increasing miracles, the ending with the Bodhisattva, straight after birth, walking seven steps. And uh, you can actually still see the footprint. I'm not sure that everyone is aware of that. If you go to Lumbini, 
uh, in the temple which they have in the birthplace, and the, uh, the main object of renovation, which is still in the ground, but you can see it through some glass they have prepared. It's a kind of uh, sand slab, which over the two and a half thousand years which have passed, now is kind of almost like petrified, has become very hard. And you can see these uh, little footprints of a little baby making seven steps. And this is supposed, I can't tell you that's really the case, no, but this is supposed to be the very soil which have been preserved where the little bodhisattva was doing the seven steps. It's also in a quite a metaphorically powerful, you know, the seven steps, we can probably relate you know, to the seven Bojangas, you know, the possibly highest category of the Bodhipakya Dhammas, you know, very refined uh, steps of you know, training for enlightenment, uh, seven Bojangas, are symbolized by these seven steps. In any way, it's an ever-increasing spring of miracles and then walking and making a declaration as a newborn. And then the earthquake and the powerful light through the whole universe, but even the most remote corners between the galaxies are fully illuminated. And uh, it's difficult how to top that now, but the Buddha does top it. And he says to Ananda, please also remember that marvelous and wonderful quality in the Tathagata. Namely, in the Tathagata, feelings, Vedana, arise mindfully and fully aware. The feelings persist in the Tathagata's mind. And he is mindful of that. He is fully aware of the feeling. And he is fully aware and mindful of the passing away of the feelings of their ending. The sannyas arise mindfully and with full awareness in the Tathagata and they remain in his mind and they pass away. And while he is fully mindful and comprehending of that fact, fully aware. And the Tathagata is fully mindful and aware of any thought arising in his mind, of any thought persisting in his mind, and of any thought ending, ceasing, and passing away in his mind. Venerable Ananda answers, Yes, Monte, I will also remember that as a marvelous and amazing quality in the Tathagata. And to me, uh, this is really the Buddha speaking to us over 2,500 years. I cannot imagine that, say, any later commentator would have sneaked that kind of comment in there. What actually happens if you go to other later traditions, the list of miracles becomes longer and longer. And in some later Mahayana sources, they say when the Bodhisattva was born, all the blind could see and all the crippled could walk and all the sick would be cured and uh, the lamb and the wolf would be playing together and the tiger and the deer would become best friends and so on and so on. The the milk is proliferating. That is a normal tendency. 
But uh, to top off that uh, long string of amazing miracles surrounding the birth, with that quality in the Tathagata's mind that feelings, perceptions and thoughts arise, persist and pass away mindfully, uh, I feel this is really the Buddha speaking to us. This is not some addition or some miracle. And that makes the whole sutta very authentic to me. And why is the Buddha doing that? He's not against and the Ananda enumerating the miracles. In fact, when the Ananda has already heard them from the Buddha and he's just repeating what he already earlier has heard from the Buddha, now in the Buddha's presence and that other monks can hear it. And so the Buddha personally would relate the miracles because he wanted to support the faith faculty, the sadha, the pasada, the confidence, the trust and faith in, in the Buddha, you know, the devotion, the affection people feel towards the Buddha. And he wanted to deliberately support that by letting people know about the marvelous events which happened. But faith is not the only faculty, and faith alone wouldn't get us to Nibbana. So what the Buddha says in the end is a kind of greatest miracle because that is the foundation of all the other ones. Because in order to develop his parami to such an extent that he became the Buddha and that he could attain and understand the Four Noble Tours without a teacher pointing them out to him completely on his own, and he had to develop that quality of mindfulness and wisdom. And he had to be able to maintain it, to strengthen it, and develop it to the highest possible degree. Now this is why the whole sutta already starts, now that the Bodhisattva was born mindfully in the Tusita heaven. He stayed there the whole lifespan mindfully. And then he passed away mindfully. Now this focusing us now on this outstanding and important quality of mindfulness and awareness that we should develop in all situations. Some other sutta is stating that uh, only the bodhisattvas in their last birth are actually able to maintain mindfulness from the time when they die in the heaven world, in this case, then through the whole process, the conception, and then gestation, pregnancy, and then also the birth, which is obviously can be quite traumatizing for both mother and child. It's quite a painful event. But the bodhisattva that can maintain mindfulness unbroken, so his memory is basically unbroken. And, and to my understanding, that would explain how he could walk and make that declaration. Because his memory, and the mindfulness is also memory, something means memory. So he obviously could still remember how to walk like an adult. He could remember how to speak like an adult. All this mindfulness and memory was unbroken. It's still quite a miracle, but at least it gives a little bit of, a, of an explanation of how it could be possible.
And that is something that which we can take on ourselves. Now, I'm not sure if you are, if you have been given birth, any of our listeners, probably some have given birth. It was probably not quite like this story. And uh, even the men amongst us, we haven't given birth, but we were born into this world, and it probably was also not like this story. And so it's nothing, it's not so applicable. We can use that to strengthen our faith and devotion. But in terms of what actually to do, the Buddha brought in the faculty of mindfulness and awareness and observing feelings, the pleasant and unpleasant, observing perceptions, good, bad, white, wrong, this all perceptions arising in our mind, blue, green, nice, ugly, uh, observing that in our mind arising and passing away with mindfulness and awareness. Now the thinking, all these thoughts, the takas, are going through our mind all the time, being aware of that, being clearly comprehending and mindful of the thoughts. Now that is something we can actually uh, practice, that is something which is applicable, which we can use. So I would like you all to be bodhisattva matas. I would like you all to be mothers of the bodhisattva. One of the blocks here is looking a little bit. <laughs> how, how can a man be a bodhisattva mother? Is that not maybe an exclusively female domain? Have you heard of the Tathagata Garbha? It's a concept in Mahayana. Tathagata Garbha, the, the embryo of the Tathagata. And what they mean there in Mahayana is the potential for awakening, the potential for enlightening potential to experience enlightenment, which is in all human minds. Although we may not be quite so close as a bodhisattva to Nibbana, or like the great Kubrajans, and may still take us some time to get there, but that potential in principle is there in our mind, in particular in human beings. That's why it's so special to be a human being. It's a great potential to experience Nibbana, awakening, freedom from suffering, freedom from death. Now that is what is meant by the embryo of the Tathagata and the Mahayana. Now, but the Mahayana or not, their idea is obviously correct, that potential is there in any human mind. But we have not to give birth to it. So I mean it metaphorically. Now, when I say we should all be bodhisattva martyrs, mothers of the bodhisattva, and not, not in the physical sense, but we should all be mothers you know, nurturing and giving birth you know, to that quality of release and freedom and nibbana and enlightenment. And very similar, like the bodhisattva martyr, if we want to give birth to nibbana, so to speak, if we want to nurture enlightenment, we want to nurture the Eightfold Path and the Bojangas in our heart so that they will unfold into wisdom, freedom, liberation and the end of suffering. And like the Bodhisattva Mahatma, we have to be, become the virtuous and even naturally virtuous. We have to train the precepts to such an extent that the mind 
that doesn't even want to break them anymore. And it becomes unnatural. You could see some more similarities, you know, even though the devas protecting the bodhisattva mata. In her case, it is said it was actually the four great kings, or the first, the rulers of the first level of heaven. But if you really nurture the Eightfold Path in our heart, you may not have the four great kings, but you will get some help from the devas and some protection. And if you really give birth to the quality of awakening, not physically with the body, but in, in your heart, or the Eightfold Path, or leading the five faculties of faith, energy, mindfulness, samadhi, and wisdom to their culmination, fully developing them. There will also be a, a pure birth. There will be no blood and no impurity. And just like the bodhisattva was received first by the devas and only afterwards by humans, so it will be the same and because each time when someone attains nirvana, there seems to be this big light actually happening. And then regularly you know, the devas come and uh, celebrate. They feel so much mudita. So other for us humans, because we can't see you know, the spiritual light, you may not notice that. But for the spiritual beings, it's impossible not to notice the birth of a Buddha or even the birth of any other hand when any time attains an enlightenment, the devas and spirits know immediately because of this amazing light suddenly flashing. And they regularly come and celebrate. So you would even be received by the devas in that sense, metaphorically, if you ever give birth to the quality of the deathlessness. And uh, in a sense, I like this simile that we should be the Bodhisattva Mata. If you were the Bodhisattva Mata in a, in a literal sense, physically, would you spend your time smoking and drinking? It sounds completely insane. What, what would you say if you know, the Bodhisattva Mata and suddenly you see her with a bottle of whiskey and cigarettes? We would be shocked, isn't it? I can't even think that. To my mind, it's impossible to even imagine that. And it's similar, if you want to be a bodhisattva mata in the sense that you want to nurture that quality of awakening in your heart, even going close to a bottle of whiskey, there's a non-possibility and would never occur to anyone. And like she is naturally virtuous, so if you want to nurture that quality, never unveil, you know, stay far away from breaking the five precepts. And it's also interesting that it's described that her pregnancy is so easy. She feels actually healthier than normal. That is also a beautiful simile you know, because if you really nurture the quality of awakening, like a pregnant mother with great care and love, 
we will also feel very happy. <laughs> it's a very happy pregnancy to develop the eight-foot path because every step on the eight-foot path is already reducing dukkha. Every step on the eight-foot path is already developing a wholesome happiness and wholesome joy. Every strengthening of these five faculties will give us the gladness. So please be good pregnant bodhisattva martyrs. Please nurture the quality of awakening in your heart. And may you all give birth, not to the physical bodhisattva, but may you give birth to the deathless uh, through your practice in your heart.